and welcome to Ag PhD Radio, broadcasting from the Morton studio today. I'm Darren Hefty. And I'm Brian Hefty. Thanks for joining us. Today in the show, we're going to talk a little about balancing soil fertility. I know it may seem a little bit complicated, but we're going to try to make it as simple as possible for you. So we'll discuss that on the show today. If you've got any questions for us or anything we'd, you would like us to help you with on your farm, give us a call 844-44-AG-PHD. That's 844-442-4743. You could also email us radio at agphd.com or find us on Twitter agphdmedia, Darren Hefty or Brian Hefty. All right so with balancing soil fertility I'll start you with four things. So base saturation, phosphorus to zinc, phosphorus to copper, and magnesium to potassium. Now, the magnesium to potassium is in the base saturation thing, so if you get that right, you probably have it already, but I wanted to bring it up just because I think it was two years ago on our farm, you could see it in our yield data. Oh my goodness. If we had that ratio of magnesium to potassium in terms of parts per million, one to one or two to one, or somewhere in that range, we did so much better yield-wise than if our ratio was 3 to 1, 4 to 1, 6 to 1, whatever, magnesium to potassium. With the base saturation test, there are five different nutrients there. It's sodium, hydrogen, magnesium, calcium, and potassium. And the reason why we love that base saturation test is because it's helping you balance your fertility without some super complicated formula. Okay, so if you look at what we talk about in the base saturation and you, you try to get somewhere around those levels, then usually your soil is fairly well balanced. You get that magnesium to potassium thing taken care of and you're in pretty good shape. So calcium, we're usually talking 65 to 80%. With potassium, we'd really like to see 4 to 8%. With magnesium, somewhere in the 12 to 20% range. Sodium, we want less than 1%. And hydrogen, we want 10% or less. Now, none of these have to be exact, but if you're at least getting relatively close, then generally speaking, you've got a fairly well-balanced soil. Then the last two things I'll talk about, and then we're going to get to the egg PhD mailbag, phosphorus to zinc and phosphorus to copper. So I didn't even understand this that well until the last five years because in the last five years in our farm, we've compared soil tests to yield results on thousands of grid points. And there is absolutely a difference. And part of what set me off on this thing was when we first started, it looked like, oh, we need more copper. All our yield data was pointing toward need more copper. The very next year, a lot of our yield data was pointing to, oh, we need less copper. And I'm like, wait a second. How can that possibly be? And then I looked at the phosphorus to copper ratio, and I saw, oh, here's the problem. In that second year, we had cut back on phosphorus, spent more of our money on micronutrients and a number of other things, and that was dumb. So basically, all this data that we're accumulating, it's helping us get smarter on the farm, make better decisions with our fertilizer dollars. So I know now in the future, hey, yeah, it's good. I needed to get my copper levels up, but don't do that at the expense of phosphorus. That's dumb. You can't mess up that phosphorus to copper ratio just like you don't want to mess up the phosphorus to zinc ratio. The ratios are perhaps more important than what the levels are individually. 
So anyway, phosphorus to zinc, we're usually talking somewhere ballpark around 10 to 1. Phosphorus to copper, again, somewhere ballpark around 30 to 1 or, or so. So again, it doesn't have to be exact, but at least you get it relatively close to that. And generally speaking, you're able to maximize yields better. Okay, let's get to the Ag PhD mailbag. It's the mailbag! All right, get this one from Sims who says, guys, uh, what's your recommendations on this particular field i'm just taking it over this will be the first time for me putting together my own soil fertility program last year this field had corn this year it's going to soybeans hoping to raise 75 bushel beans i'd like to know how aggressive i can be with the micros i'm mostly broadcasting fertilizer and you know just looking at the test real quick sulfur zinc manganese boron all really low it's dtpa extraction and that could enter into this conversation just a little bit. But the pHs, there's a lot of pHs there that are just a little on the low side. So you'd think if stuff was going to show good, like especially manganese, it would have in these tests. Okay, couple of things. First of all, I would say if the tests were pulled this fall and you were really dry, then your potassium might show just a little bit lower. Your pH might show just a little bit lower than normal. So, you know, like pH, the lowest you're at is 5.6. So if it was super dry soil, I don't know if I'd be real worried about that. If you normally say, oh, everything's in the sixes, but for the most part, everything else was in the low sixes or mid sixes. So not, not bad. And potassium, you're only at two, three percent and a bunch of them. So that's one of the things we're going to be lo looking at and talking about just like we we are with our or were with our base saturation discussion here just a minute ago on the show. Phosphorus is really variable. So he's got some spots here, 10 parts per million of available phosphorus, but other spots, 114. So spend your dollars in those low spots on the phosphorus. But yes, on the micronutrient side, you can push it pretty good and you need to push it pretty good because zinc, you're at a half a part per million. That's not going to cut it. I promise you that's hurting your yield today. Boron, 0.2 and 0.3. Now, you don't have to get carried away on boron. A lot of times we'll say 1,000 to 1 calcium to boron, something like that. And you have some spots that are down to 1,000 on calcium. You also have spots that are 2,000. But anyway, you're going to need at least a little bit of boron out there. This is light to medium soil, so understand that boron's leachable just like sulfur and nitrogen are leachable, which does explain why all three of those are exceptionally low. So you got to make sure that you're adding sulfur, zinc, um, a little bit of boron, probably a little bit of manganese, and then phosphorus at least in those, those spots that are bad. For me, I'm also going to be starting to work on my potassium because it's a little bit on the low side, but you got some spots that actually are up to 4% base saturation K and more. So you got some areas that are, are not too bad. All right. Thanks for the question. Good luck making that first recommendation for your own farm. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. Officer Jones calling for backup. 10-4. Location? Graber back 40. Looks like we've got Palmer Amaranth, Kosha, some common water hemp. Resistant weeds. Copy that. You'll need a good tank mix partner. I'm sending Tough 5 UC. Come out with your hands up! Guys, we're surrounded. Crack down on repeat offenders. Add Tough 5 EC to your post-emergence tank mix. Learn more at toughonweeds.com. Always read and follow label directions. Tough is a registered trademark of Belgian Crop Protection. 
Control the toughest weeds with overlapping residuals. Lock in the longest lasting control for your soybean fields. A pre-emergence application of an authority brand herbicide plus a post-application of Anthem Max herbicide establishes the overlapping residual control key to safeguarding your soybean seasons. This pairing is a heavy-duty economical strategy against Palmer Amaranth, Waterhemp, Kosha, and more. Visit your FMC retailer or lockin.ag.fmc.com today. Always read and follow all label directions. One of the most important things you can do for your farm is improve drainage. Hi, I'm Darren Hefty. On Wednesday, February 8th, we're hosting a free Ag PhD tiling clinic in the Morton Center on our farm near Baltic, South Dakota. Whether you've been tiling for years or looking to plan your first project, you won't want to miss this event. We'll have a whole host of information for you, including a legal session with the country's top drainage lawyers, as well as presentations on tile design, lift stations, and ways to approach neighbors and landlords about tiling issues. For more details, go to agphd.com. There's an innovative new soybean herbicide on the market that's helping close the door on weed resistance and open new doors to productivity. Preview 2.1 SC Herbicide from UPL is a multi-mode of action pre-emergent that controls the most resistant broadleaf weeds at the beginning of the season and continues to control later weeds with strong residual activity. Ask your retailer about Preview 2.1 Herbicide from UPL and always read and follow label directions. Back, you're listening to Ag PhD Radio. We're broadcasting from the Morton studio today, talking about balancing soil fertility. And that's always just a little bit tricky. A lot of different things going on there. And where to start is often where the questions begin. Got our friend Bo Shropshire out in California to talk a little bit about this. Bo, how you doing? I'm doing good, Darren. It's uh, really cold out here. It's uh, It got down to 42 last night. And uh, it's about 60 degrees outside, so I had to put on an extra jacket to come out to the office. <laughs> you just rub it in. We're above freezing. That doesn't happen so often recently around here, and I know we got some below zeros coming up. Hopefully it's really cold when you come visit us. Well, yeah, I, I'm sure it's going to be. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Give you a little taste of that. Hey, we're talking balancing yeah. soil fertility, and I, I always think the first thing you got to do is measure stuff. And we get a lot of times to our show, we'll get one sample per field. And that's really tough to, to make a whole lot of recommendations oh, yeah. out of that. How much data do you feel like you need to be able to make a good idea or make a good recommendation for a grower on balancing things out? Well, I, I guess basically the deal is is you ask the grower how uh, concise he wants to be on on a particular block. You know, um, you know, there's there's some situations where you might have a sample for every planter in a place like Legoland, okay? You know, but but uh, you may have a situation where you have three to five or or you know maybe ten samples on a on a seventy or hundred and forty acre block. But so it just kind of depends on where the customer wants to head, you know, how, how concise he wants to be. So what I like to do is, is to go out there and, and soil map the deal, either with a dual EM or a Veris cart, and get some idea of the different, you know, zones out there and at least get a sample out of each one of those zones. Yeah, I think, I think getting some samples in different parts of the field is interesting because 
when we look at yield maps, like on these big acre crops, <laughs> I've never seen a yield map that yields 200 bushel corn all the way across the field. It's 300 over here and 100 over there and everything in between. So, you know, you got varying conditions and varying fertility levels out there. So I agree with you. Identify where that variability is at. And then it seems like almost every soil we look at, they're good in one thing and not good in something else. It's, hey, we've got... Uh, a really high level of phosphorus, but we have a low level of potassium or or a low level of certain micronutrients. Uh, how do you draw that line? When you got some things that are high, do you try to raise everything else up to that, or or what do you do? Well, basically, what I try to do is, again, go back to figure out exactly what that customer wants to do, whether he wants to have his fertility levels at an excellent rating or just start building or just do maintenance stuff. So, you know, so... What we try to do is the first place to start, of course, is to get have an understanding of what the exchange capacity is of the soil and where my calcium-magnesium ratio is. And I'll balance those first because what will happen is, uh, you know, a lot of times I've had situations here where you may have a, a low calcium number and a really high mag number and a high sodium number. And all of a sudden, you know, you just realize you got no, there's nothing showing out there for iron. All of a sudden, you know, you start, you know, getting those corrections on the ratios of calcium to magnesium, and all of a sudden, stuff just shows up. Now it's available. So that's that's for me. That's the key is to start with the, the calcium magnesium ratio first, and then start to build, you know, to build those levels and, you know, figure out what a guy wants to wants to spin, what his target is. You know, um, when I, I've got some, you know, cotton growers that have enjoyed some seven-and-a-half bale yields. And I'm not talking about in one little spot like you just referred to. I'm talking about, you know, a 40-acre block, average seven-and-a-half bales of cotton on a 40-acre on a block. Well, that's, you know, he's done a lot of work to get that, you know, soil to that condition and get things balanced and, you know, a lot of stuff uh, provided for the plant. It sounds like a lot of fun. <laughs> I just hear stories like oh, that. Yeah. I think, man, yeah, it's a lot of work along the way, but when you get to enjoy the fun at the end, that's awesome. Oh, and, yeah. Uh, you know, it's, you know, I've had a couple situations over the years, Brian, where, I mean, Darren, where guys will go out and you know, you're able to go um, do everything that's needed on that one, on this one field. I did that with lettuce uh, on some stuff about 10 years ago. I had a customer that said, okay, look, you know, let's let's put everything on the recommendation. Let's put it all on, okay? I mean, we we did we put on about two and a half tons of lime. We put on um, uh, four hundred pounds of ferrous sulfate. We put on two hundred pounds of potassium sulfate. We put on uh, three hundred pounds of uh, MAP. We put on thirty five pounds of zinc, and we put on thirty pounds of copper, and we put on uh, two hundred pounds of manganese. And, I mean, this guy's lettuce just absolutely was fabulous. Um, so, the, in fact, the, the cutting foreman, it was, it, was a, it was a deal where they were growing for a company, and uh, the cutting foreman on the harvest crew said, I've never seen lettuce. This look, looks good, you know. The heads are dense. The quality's awesome. And they were picking the stuff for a bulk deal, which, you know, they're putting lettuce in a bin. Well, everybody's bins about that time were weighing between – seven and eight hundred pounds and this guy's bins were eleven hundred and seventy five pounds you know <laughs> i mean holy toledo yeah yeah that's that's what the fun part is you know but 
you know, obviously it, it's going to take a lot of time. It takes time. It's not like house paint. You know, you want your house pink today and go pink, 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 it's pink. Uh, it doesn't work that way in soils. It take, Obviously, as you well know, it takes time to get those levels correct and not do oh, and not overdo something. That's the other right. part of the deal. Right. You know? Yeah. And, you know, you think about uh, all this, the, a, the stomach of the soil is really all the microbiology going on out there, and they, the microbiology isn't going to change uh, just overnight either. It takes, takes some time getting no. the right food, getting the right balance, and... And like you, you mentioned too, just that soil condition. There's, there's a lot that goes into it, and we're talking with Bo Shropshire here uh, about soil fertility just a little bit. And Bo, uh, tell you what, I'll, uh, I'll leave a little more of that discussion for uh, next month during the the Neil Kinsey cool. seminar. Well, here. It'll be fun to catch up with you. I'm looking forward to it, Darren. It's, it's going to be an awesome time. All right. Well, thanks, Bo. I really appreciate all the help today. You got it, my friend. Take care. Yeah. Bye-bye. Let's head up north of the border, up into Ontario. Got Colin Elgie on with us right now with the Ontario Ministry of Ag. How you doing, Colin? Not too bad at all, thanks. How about yourself? Pretty good. Okay, we're talking balancing soil fertility, Dan, and one of the first thoughts I had is, man, I wish fertility was just a little bit cheaper. That would make this discussion so much easier. <laughs> that's that's really the key of it. You know, we've got some some crazy fertilizer prices in, in Ontario, and sure you've got them uh down through the states there as well and it's it's really a fact of you know you you know you still got to put some on but you really want to try and cost as little as possible yeah that's for sure so uh, how do we do that how, how what have you found and what are you working on in ontario to to help growers to be a little more efficient yeah yeah and so so the first uh first step out of anything is if you got a dollar to spend spend it on a soil test if you don't have a soil test to go off of, really, I don't see any way you can possibly whine about the price of fertilizer because you don't know where to start from. And so once you've got that soil test, it's really a look of finding out, you know, where you're low, where your levels are high, uh, what your pH is like. And from, from that point of view, you can really start to start to balance the nutrients that you're actually needing. And so the, one of the most important factors, and I, I kind of mentioned it, is pH. Um, if you're looking to balance your fertility, having that pH in that sweet spot is so critically important. We can talk about putting all the fertilizer you want on a crop of corn, feeding it, you know, every possible nutrient you can think of, but you're not going to get any return on your investment unless that, unless that soil's in the right pH where that plant can actually turn those nutrients into usable forms and take it up. And so in Ontario here, our soils, we're mainly mineral soils we're talking about, but should be somewhere between 6.0 and 7.5 for the majority of our, of our crops here. Um, and I, I think that's just such an important aspect of the whole soil fertility planning that often goes unchecked. You know, it, it's uh, kind of, it's kind of saying this, or kind of attacking the same issue that, that Bo Shropshire was talking about, just from a little bit different angle. When we get certain big pieces in place all of a sudden we get better nutrient availability on a lot of these nutrients and you mentioned that ph when we get way out of whack there uh, it ties up micros it ties up a lot of stuff so just getting right in the right range will free up nutrients without spending more money hey colin thank you so much we really appreciate having you on stay tuned we'll be right back precision crop nutrition pays and AgroLiquid has precisely what it takes to help you succeed. The right products plus the right expertise to give you guidance based on your soils, 
your fields, and your goals. While our clean, seed-safe formulations and lower application rates make planter fertilizer easier than ever. AgroLiquid. Apply less. Expect more. Find a retailer at agroliquid.com. You put everything you've got into securing the next generation of your farm. So why not take it a step further? Commodity Classic is America's largest farmer-led, farmer-focused, educational, and agricultural experience, where you'll find thought-provoking education, a huge trade show with the latest ag technology, and networking with thousands of farmers who are preparing for the next generation just like you. Join us in Orlando March 9th through 11th, 2023. Learn more at commodityclassic.com. Get more durability for less downtime with Soil Warrior Strip Tillage from Environmental Tillage Systems. Improve fertilizer efficiency and reduce passes and fuel usage. Now that's ROI. Learn more about ETS at SoilWarrior.com. With superior materials, craftsmanship, and best-in-class warranty, a Morton machine storage or workshop is built to stand the test of time. To learn how we can help you expand your farm operation, visit MortonBuildings.com. How can you make your corn crop more successful? I'm Darren Hefty. Thursday, February 9th, we're going to answer that question at a free Ag PhD corn agronomy workshop at the Morton Center near Baltic, South Dakota. We'll talk about water management, fertility needs, finding success in cold soils, and we'll discuss how to protect your corn crop from weeds, insects, and diseases that can rob your yield potential. There's a great opportunity to make profit in your corn crop this year. Don't miss the free Ag PhD corn agronomy workshop. Register now at agphd.com. It's planting season, race against the clock season, mistakes can't happen season, and no one helps you face it all like John Deere. Putting technology in your hands that gets you in and out of the field faster, that makes your spacing and depth more accurate, and that gives you the confidence that this season will be your best season. See what you have to gain at johndeere.com slash gain ground. Did you know soybean diseases like white mold and sudden death syndrome can survive in your soil even after rotating crops? Prevention of these diseases is a constant battle and yield loss from an infection can be devastating. The right management plan makes all the difference. Keep your beans safe with Heads Up Seed Treatment. Heads Up guards your seed from both white mold and SDS. Stay protected and profitable by asking your seed dealer for Heads Up. Learn more at headsupst.com. Welcome back. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio. We're broadcasting from the Morton studio today, talking about balancing soil fertility. And, you know, it, it does vary a little bit how things get managed in, in certain parts of North America. And one of the areas that often is a little bit dry, kind of like we are, maybe even a little drier, is the state of Montana. We got Clayne Jones on with us right now with Montana State. How you doing, Clayne? I'm doing well. How are you guys doing? Good, good. Now, one nutrient that we haven't talked about yet is sulfur. And I know there's a lot of attention that's starting to get put on this nutrient. And and I, I think it's justified. We, we definitely hear a lot of growers talk about, man, uh, I, I'm noticing that I'm low. I'm seeing results when I'm adding some in. What are you seeing out in Montana? Yeah, what we're seeing is a lot of times when people have grain protein, with wheat being our biggest crop, <clears throat> they assume that they're low on N. 
So they put on more in, and often they don't get a yield bump and they don't get a protein bump. And so that's when I really encourage them to look at sulfur, since as you know, you know, sulfur is as important as nitrogen in making protein. Yeah, that's a great that's a great call out, and and we do have some growers that will say uh, in the pre-plant application I'll put some sulfur in, uh, but when you talk about in-crop applications, uh, a lot of times guys are putting just N out there. But what what are you seeing? I guess, and what kind of ways are you putting sulfur out? Is it one time per year? Is it uh, hey we got to put some out late with a stream bar app or something like that? What what have you seen? You know. Either people don't put it on at all, or for the most part, they'll put a little ammonium sulfate in with the seed or at the time of seeding. Sometimes ammonium sulfate is a broadcast application, uh, but very rarely are people putting it on in season, and that's usually as what I would call rescue treatment. You know, they see sulfur deficiency, yellow upper leaves, and then they might apply rescue. But by then, they've probably lost some yield, so I'm really encouraging people to put it on near the time of seeding. You know, Brian talks about a lot for our farm too, as we're making fertility plans. He's like, you know, if it doesn't rain later on, <laughs> we're going to be happy if we got some of this stuff out. So, so we got it to, to move down in the soil, to move around a little bit. And so our roots can find it versus the later applications where it just might not rain very much afterwards. And uh, I know we've had drought for the last couple of years, uh, and that really gets us thinking about that, that, that getting those early applications might be even more beneficial. Definitely. And, you know, on, on canola, we're seeing people know they need a, a fair amount of sulfur on canola. But if they get it on too late, it just really is too late to help yield. So we're seeing early season deficiencies, especially in our pulse crops and on canola. And by then, it's just a, a little too late. So we are seeing more sulfur deficiencies here in Montana. We actually have three studies going on right now, one on pea, canola, and also spring wheat, and actually a fourth on forages as well. Very interesting. Yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm glad you brought up these other crops too, because a lot of times folks will think, oh, you're talking about corn or you're talking about just wheat. Uh, but there there are a lot of other crops out there that, that we can see some differences with sulfur. And uh, canola is certainly one. I know a lot of our friends north of the border talk about that too, that, uh, man, you got to have it out there early and you got to have plenty of it or, or you just aren't going to get the yield that you want. Definitely. And, you know, one of the problems you're probably aware of is that there's just not a great soil sulfur test out there. And and so a lot of times you're basing your sulfur needs on maybe removal rates or possibly in areas of the field where you saw sulfur deficiency in a, a previous year. It's unfortunate that we don't have a, a great soil test that we can trust, but that's uh, just kind of the way it's it's happened. Well, speak about the soil testing. Here's the other thing, too, on a nutrient that can move in soil. Do you encourage growers to do deeper testing for nitrogen, for sulfur, for some of these more leachable nutrients, or is leaching just not a big concern for Montana? <laughs> Good question. We are we are a little bit drier. Than well, I mean, when your rains when your rains come a quarter mentioned. your rains come a quarter inch at a time, Clay. I don't know if it ever really <laughs> washes anything too deep. No, you know, on after fallow though, we often find some pretty high nitrates in that third and fourth foot. So we do recommend occasionally sampling that deeper depth. All of our guidelines, fertilizer guidelines, are based on the top two feet 
but we have crop advisors who consistently go to three and a half because they're finding uh, nitrate that deep. I don't recommend sulfate beyond two feet, and I don't recommend chloride beyond two feet. Uh, that just seems to be the best correlations with fertilizer needs is that upper two feet of soil. Yep, great points. Uh, always good stuff from Clayne Jones out at Montana State. Clayne, thank you so much. We really appreciate having you on. No problem. Take care, you guys. I like to talk about sulfur, Brian, because oftentimes when we say fertility balance, guys are thinking about, well, P and K and, uh, as Bo had brought up earlier, calcium and magnesium, uh, but making sure we get enough sulfur out there. That's one that we do hear from more and more growers as they're making nitrogen applications or, or looking at things like protein and wheat, uh, getting some getting some sulfur out there and, and getting more sulfur out there than has been applied has been another good thing, too. Uh, ready for some more mailbag or you want to talk any more on soil fertility, Brian? Well, we can talk all day on soil fertility. I, <laughs> I guess I would just say we really, really encourage you, please soil test. It's going to help your farm. And if you don't know how to read a soil test, come to one of our clinics or just listen to us here on Ag PhD. We're talking about soils just about all the time. It is so important. Other than drainage, it's the thing that's going to make most farms the most money. If you spend the dollars right, if you spend the dollars wrong, not so much. And it, it, it becomes real problematic if you don't spend those dollars as wisely as possible. But anyway, yeah, soil fertility is just incredibly important, and I guess I'll leave it at that. Jim from Australia had a little feedback. We just went through some of his soil tests last week. He said, hey, guys, sorry about <laughs> some of the data I sent. I should have isolated specific fields instead of sent you so many fields. We are just so busy hauling gypsum out on our farm this fall. Hey, thanks, Jim. We really appreciate the, the feedback, and thanks for the test, too. Good luck to you as you're hauling all that uh, soil amendment or, or fertility out there. Uh, I got a tiling question here that came in from Jeff, and he said, I recently pattern tiled a 40-acre field that I had purchased about five years ago. It's very productive ground, and, and I'm excited about this, but I'm new to tiling. And my question is this. My outlet for my main will be half underwater and sometimes all underwater for a lot of the time. Will it still drain properly? My professional that helped me uh, put the tile in said he believes it's going to drain just fine from his experience, uh, but just kind of curious what you think. Well, I mean, it all depends on the situation. Is it draining into a river, a creek, a pond? What's it draining into? Doesn't say? Doesn't say. Okay, so we have one that's going to sit underwater quite a bit, but it's facing downstream and it's in a creek, so it works fine. But on the other hand, if it was going into a pond, and let's say that pond can get bigger and uh, the water level gets higher, then it might not work at all. Or at least, well, yeah, it, it, it could work. It's just not going to work great because what in effect could happen is the water can come from the higher ground and it can disperse out through your your perforated tile where you think it's oh it's all going out the end no it's stuck because it can't move out the end so if if it's a pond situation so yeah it all depends on your situation and i guess i would just say i'm concerned i'll also tell you that in our experience if you don't have great slope in your field or very much slope in your field, create your own slope, put in a lift station, spend the money and pump the water out. Then number one, you know, the water's always getting out. And number two, you've got the, 
the slope to move the water more quickly out of that field. So without knowing the details, I can't tell you if what you're you're doing here is good or not, but I, we, I've got two situations. One, that's fine. The other, we did it, and we should have put it in the lift station. It was stupid. So not making that mistake again. All right. Thanks for the question. Really appreciate that. This one comes from Brandon over in central Minnesota, and I'll see if we have time here before the break. At least I can get the question out. He, he said, guys, uh, you were talking about copper and manganese levels that could potentially help with disease tolerance if you built them up. I was wondering... What do you think about putting an infurrow product out there? Uh, like, for example, I use agri-liquid fertilizer. I could do a pint of their copper and a pint of their manganese. Would that give me some additional help. help for help. SDS and white mold? Ooh. Okay, yeah, we'll answer that question right after this break. Stay tuned. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio. It takes balance to be successful in farming because what you get out of it depends on what you put in. And Corteva AgriScience gets that. Introducing Nutrition and Nutrient Efficiency Optimizer, a biological product that naturally captures nitrogen from the air. It's a sustainable way to add balance to your traditional nitrogen methods and maximize your yield potential. Embrace a balanced approach to nitrogen management this season by visiting Corteva.us. The value of your farm building is in its ability to protect what's stored inside. That's why Morton Buildings ensures that every machine storage and insulated workshop we build will provide superior strength and durability. As a 100% employee-owned company, we're all committed to being the industry leader with a focus on innovation, service, quality, and most importantly, customer satisfaction. To get started on your next project, please visit mortonbuildings.com. This whole midnight ride thing is getting really... What the HPPD resistant weeds are coming? We've got Verdict Herbicide. Verdict Herbicide? Yeah, it's a non-HPPD corn pre-herbicide from BASF. Oh, well then, get some sleep. Yeah, will do. The weeds are coming! Switch to Verdict Herbicide! Always read and follow label directions! One of the most important things you can do for your farm is improve drainage. Hi, I'm Darren Hefty. On Wednesday, February 8th, we're hosting a free Ag PhD tiling clinic in the Morton Center on our farm near Baltic, South Dakota. Whether you've been tiling for years or looking to plan your first project, you won't want to miss this event. We'll have a whole host of information for you, including a legal session with the country's top drainage lawyers, as well as presentations on tile design, lift stations, and ways to approach neighbors and landlords about tiling issues. For more details, go to agphd.com. When we told growers that New Bear Premium Trivolt Herbicide for corn delivers visibly clean fields for up to eight weeks, they were a bit skeptical. Um, we'll see how it works. So we decided to prove it. We set up cameras in multiple cornfields, treated them with Trivolt, and filmed for 24 hours a day. For eight weeks, we saw a variety of weather conditions, and Trivolt worked. See for yourself at trivoltinaction.com. Trivolt is a restricted-use pesticide. Consult your state pesticide regulator for specific restrictions. Read and follow pesticide label directions. Win the war against weeds in your soybean fields with fierce herbicides from Valent USA. With three different formulations and multiple modes of action, you're sure to find the right fierce product to protect your operation from tough weeds like Palmer Amaranth and Waterhemp. Give your soybeans a strong, clean start with up to eight weeks of residual control with the powerful pre-emergence protection of fierce herbicide. Ask your local retailer or visit valent.com fierce to find the right fierce formulation for you. 
Always read and follow label instructions. Welcome back. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio, talking about balancing soil fertility here in the Morton studio. And we had a question come in from Brandon. And Brandon comments, hey, guys, you were talking about copper and manganese. And when you get to certain levels, uh, they can help fight with fight diseases and improve disease tolerance of your crop. So I was wondering if using some copper and manganese in furrow could be additional help for me against SDS and white mold. I wonder if you guys have tried anything specific nutrient-wise to fight disease on your farm. All right, so it's certainly possible. There, There's a little bit of data showing, hey, if we have better copper levels, SDS might be a little lower, a little better manganese levels, and, uh, and white mold might be a little bit less. But to think that we're going to make an enormous impact by just doing a little bit in furrow, I just, I struggle to believe that because I don't know that it's going to last all season long. We might need to get the levels up more, but it's certainly possible. So have we done some things like that? Yes. Yes, we absolutely have. Have I seen anything massive? No. But we also don't have SDS. We do have white mold. So I just say if you have either of those problems, and especially white mold, white mold's way way worse than sudden death syndrome. And I know if, if you are somebody listening today, you've had sudden death syndrome, you go, oh no, it's terrible. No, literally white mold can take 100% of your yield. Sudden death, in our experience, hasn't done that so much. But with white mold, like on our own farm, we have lost 100% of our yield in areas. So that one to me, it's kind of an emotional one. I want to make sure that I'm doing everything I possibly can. And I know for a fact, no one thing is going to solve the white mold problem. You've got to look at about 10 different things and probably do at least six or seven of them if you want less white mold. With sudden death, it's a little bit easier. I mean, number one, I want incredible drainage. When we have great drainage, there's absolutely less sudden death syndrome. There's no question about it. And there are varieties that are definitely much better than others. Although, you know, with white mold, there are varieties that are better too, even though there's no technical resistance to white mold or sudden death syndrome. Anyway, beyond that, I, I would just say take a look at seed treatments with either one and, you know, do some other things. But could copper and manganese help a little bit? Yes. I'd feel better if you did maybe a little bit in furrow or preferably two by two. And then on top of that, you did some broadcast applications if you have low copper and manganese levels in your overall soil. Manganese is kind of expensive if you want to broadcast. Copper is cheap, but manganese is pretty expensive. So if I'm going to spend the money on doing broadcast stuff and thinking, oh, that's going to really help me, I'm going to do it on a small scale first, test it out for a period of time, and then see, okay, is this making a big difference for me or not? We have seen it in some cases where it's it's been a dramatic difference, but I can't guarantee you that's going to be the case for you. If you want to send us your soil tests, we can sure take a look at them and maybe give you a little better opinion, hopefully. But that's those are just kind of my general thoughts. All right. Thanks for the question. Uh, this comes from Justin. He said, guys, I'm sending you some soil samples I did on two and a half acre grids. I've got a field that's calling for an excessive amount of lime, in my opinion. Uh, I, I used an app, sent samples into a lab and the grids show as low as 4.8 pH. They wanted me to put on as much as 15 tons of a 60% ECC lime. So my question, do you agree with that? Do you think that's too much? How much Wait, let is me too see, much? Let me see the question. I think we answered this already. 
So is this based on our soils app? Oh, no. It's a different question, but it's exactly the same as one we answered last week. So you, you have to take a look, number one, at what exactly we're trying to accomplish. So in some cases, some labs, and even like for us, we have talked about, well, maybe I want to do more than just fix the pH and get it up to the minimum. Maybe I want a higher level of pH and or maybe I just want a higher level of calcium because in some of these tests, he's at like 30% calcium. So maybe they're trying to get the calcium up to 60 or whatever percent. So anyway, I, I guess that's probably where I would go. And personally, I would ask more questions of the soils lab and and the people with the app and just see, okay, what what, what are we basing this on here? Now, the other thing is, I, I just say, yes, you can put on too much lime in one shot. With your lime that you're talking about, what I don't see, though, I don't think, he doesn't have a lime test in here, does he? No, he doesn't. Nope. Okay, what I don't see is how much actual calcium there is there. So we've often talked about, or at least Neil Kinsey has brought this up first, where he said, you probably don't want to exceed about 2,400 pounds of actual calcium, if I'm remembering the number right off the top of my head. But anyway, there's kind of a limit to it. But I don't know how much actual calcium is in your lime. Just because it's 60% ECC, I don't I don't know what, what that amounts to. So it, it's obviously going to vary depending on the other stuff that's in there and especially the moisture. So but yeah, 15 tons to me sounds sounds pretty excessive. So I probably wouldn't do that. I'd probably stretch it out over time. The lime we use is water treatment lime, and I can put on about six tons before I hit that limit. And so that's that's as high as we'll ever go. And then the next problem is, okay, let's say I put a portion of it on, like in my example, six tons. Then I'm going to be waiting at least probably three years before I do anything more. You have to give the lime time to break down and do its job. And the further north you are and the less rainfall you have, so in other words, the less heat and less rain, the longer that's all going to take. So I'm not probably giving you real great answers here, but yeah, if it's me, I'd be a little bit scared of the 15 tons. Ask some more questions and you can see. And if you want to try just a tiny little bit of 15 tons and then try it right next to whatever, five tons or six tons or three tons or something like that, Test it out yourself, and then then you'll know better for the future what you should do on a bigger scale. All right, thanks for the question. Got a couple of soil tests here, and this is from Jordan in Michigan. So the top one is a field that's going to be corn. The bottom one is a field that's going to be dry beans. Uh, he said, guys, I, I have watched your show, and you guys often say if you have soil tests that we have questions on to send them in. So... Here you go. Uh, first thing, I can get beet lime in my area, and normally we're applying that at recommended rates to bring low pHs up. So we, we know that part of it. Uh, on these two different farms, uh, what would you do? We raised 42 bushel soybeans on this top field that's going to corn. Okay, well, first of all, lime isn't the problem. It, the pHs are decent. I mean, you got a lot in the sixes. I mean, yeah, there's a spot of five, six, a spot of five, seven. So if you want to yeah, put unless a you're raising, splash unless you're raising of lime on there, where you need fine. to get it up towards seven, well, you don't need a whole lot well, of lime. Here, here's the next thing. that It's light soil. Cat exchange capacity, your single digits in a lot of the spots. So 
that it, it will take very little lime to touch up those those spots that are down in the fives. But yeah, I, I mean, raising like corn and soybeans, you can still have a good yield at in the fives. I don't like that though. Our our data has shown, hey, we got to get it up in the sixes at least for corn. Okay, in terms of the the recommendations, I just say. Uh, and I, and I hate to say this, but I mean, there's almost no fertility out there. There's there's almost zero phosphorus. The potassium is almost non-existent, um, and, and so that's where my dollars. If it's me, and and this was my ground and I, that I picked up, that's where my dollars are going. I'm spending a lot, a lot, a lot on phosphorus, and I'm spending quite a bit on potassium too, because there's just there's nothing there. Um, zinc, you're going to need to get that up as you raise your your phosphorus. We like to see a ratio somewhere around 10 to 1, roughly, phosphorus to zinc in terms of parts per million. And then, obviously, leachables, when you have that that kind of light soil, you're going to have to be addressing those on a regular basis, probably even spoon feeding a little bit if it's corn. So that means nitrogen, sulfur, boron, you're going to have to continue addressing those every single year. And one last thing that I'll mention here is copper. You got copper down below one part per million in several areas here. You got one spot of 3.4, so that's actually pretty decent. But the stuff that's one or less, even one and a half or less, I'm definitely addressing and getting those up. But yeah, I mean, your biggest yield limiting factors here is just lack of P and K. Oh, hey, one other thing I'll point out quick. You can't just look at base saturation K when you have light soil like this, like 5 CEC. You also have to look at parts per million. So when we're looking at parts per million of 50, I mean, that's that's just nowhere near where we need to be. We probably need to be 300 for an amazing crop of corn and soybeans. We'll be right back after this short break to talk a little bit more about soil fertility and answer your agronomic questions. Stay tuned. My mom's got a new case IH tractor and it can do it all. Bail hay all day. Sand in the dark with its powerful LED lights. Hook up all the implements. Ship like a race car? Steer with ease. And it can also cool my juice box. Yeah, her Case IH tractor can do everything she needs it to. Looking for a tractor that can do it all? Check out CaseIH.com. The greatest herbicide of all time earned its title by defending your soybean fields. Authority Supreme Herbicide's low-use rate formula delivers longer-lasting control of broadleaf weeds and grasses, providing you with the best-in-class combination of Group 14 PPO herbicide sulfentrazone and Class 15 molecule pyroxysulfone that outlasts the competition. We're Authority Supreme Herbicide from FMC, and we play to win. Learn more at authoritysupreme.ag.fmc.com. Always read and follow all label directions. Your crop deserves the best, not just a contender. Choose a Champ brand fungicide from New Farm for proven performance in the formula you prefer. Champ Formula 2 Flowable offers exceptional mixing and stability in a liquid copper. Champ Ion comes supercharged for superior coverage in a dry formulation. Any way you turn, New Farm has the copper solution you can win with. Put a Champ in your corner at newfarm.com slash uscrop. Think ahead to planting. Schedule your planter inspection with the experts at CNB. Make sure your equipment is in top shape and ready for the field this spring. CNB is your local John Deere dealer offering expert service and customer commitment. Learn more or schedule your appointment online today at DeereEquipment.com. 
Get your planter ready for spring with Germinator Closing Wheels from Farm Shop MFG. And now, when you buy 12 rows or more, get free shipping or 20% off an end zone bin system. Offer good while supplies last, so order yours today at farmshopmfg.com. At Corteva AgriScience, we want to keep farms healthy and productive, today and tomorrow. That's why we're investing in a robust pipeline of naturally derived biologicals. Meet Nutrition and Nutrient Efficiency Optimizer. It's a sustainable nitrogen fixation product that facilitates crop growth and optimizes yield potential. With the fluctuation in fertilizer prices, Utricia N is a reliable solution. It can be used alongside your traditional nitrogen program to enhance your ROI this year. For more information, visit Corteva.us. This season, get medieval on Rhizoctonia with the powerful protection of Excalia fungicide from Valent USA. Here to shield your sugar beets from the treachery of Rhizoctonia, Excalia delivers excellent staying power, keeping your sugar beets from being conquered. Stay one step ahead of Rhizoctonia with the powerful protection of Excalia. Ask your retailer or visit valent.com slash Excalia to learn more. Always read and follow legal instructions. Welcome back. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio. We're right in the middle of the Ag PhD mailbag time, taking your calls and agronomic questions at 844-44-AG-PHD. We've been talking about balancing soil fertility on today's show. So as you would guess, we've gotten a number of fertility questions here. This one comes in from Patrick. He said, I'm uh, raising specialty crops, mixed vegetables, strawberries, uh, and so forth on the in the coastal Washington grounds and I got some new really light soil. It's uh, only around a five CEC. And so far I've only planted cover crops out there in garlic, but I want to try and raise some other things. So I have attached well water tests, Malik three tests, saturated paste tests. uh, And just kind of curious about your thoughts on these. I, I, let's see, you got a bunch of stuff here. So far I've only put down calcium amendments, uh, where I have tilled, I'm planning on putting down nitrogen, uh, trace trace nutrients when I till in my winter cover. Give me one second And then here. he said, besides the amendments listed, what would you recommend to improve soil health, cation exchange capacity, and organic matter? Question mark. <laughs> okay. uh, I plan on using uh, summer and overwinter cover crops to help, or, help organic matter over time. Just kind of curious, have you ever used zeolite? to no. increase cation exchange capacity. No, we haven't. Okay, so here and here's why he's asking those questions. He's got, uh, let's call it six. I'll round it to six cation exchange capacity. So in other words, it's ridiculously light, which means that he's got low organic matter, relatively low, usually. But in this case, it's actually, it, this according to this test, and this is a Kinsey test, I believe, 3.6% organic matter. I don't know how you can even have 3.6% organic matter and a 6 CEC other than to say it's probably pure sand. <laughs> so I think you've done a good job getting the organic matter level up because we don't typically see that. Usually in a 6 CEC, we see 1% organic matter. But anyway, here here's the number one thing that, isn't pointed out on these tests and the recommendations and everything else, I think. And that's this. Your sodium level right now in one of these fields is 4.3%. 4.3. I'll also say this is on a Kinsey test where they, they put in other bases, which means they, they include in the base saturation test micronutrients as well. So 
that means that the number in an in let's call it a Midwest Labs test that we usually run or some other lab it's going to be a little higher than the 4.3% because you're not going to have those other bases in there. It's probably going to be 4.5, 4.6, 4.7, something like that. To me, that's concerning. So when I look at your uh, your water analysis, yeah, there's some sodium in there, but it, it's, it's not like it's horrific or anything. So, you know, in in that kind of light soil... I just say the drainage has to be good. I mean, there, there's nothing that's going to hold things up when you get a 6 CEC. So one of my thoughts would, would be this. I might consider using more sulfur on a regular basis to try to flush out more of that sodium. Sodium by itself isn't going to just wash away. But if you can turn it into a salt like sodium sulfate, for example, that can be washed away. So for me, that would be one of the things that I may consider moving forward. I mean, beyond that, yeah, it looks like he's got fairly decent levels of P and K. And uh, what was his other question? Build organic matter, build something else? Yeah. Uh, so Just soil health, right? Yep. Soil yeah. And, and sodium is one of the things that it, it at some point could be a detriment here as we move forward. The, the level that you're at. So, I, 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 I mean, I don't know really what more to say beyond that because they've got lime recommendation here, copper and sulfur and boron recommendation. And I mean, so a number of things. So it looks like pretty good stuff overall, but I'd at least be thinking about that as you move forward. We got to watch sodium levels. And obviously, if you can't get any better water with less sodium, then your only other choice is, hey, I just got to make sure that I'm flushing it out on a regular basis and that my level doesn't grow from here. It's already bad enough. I think it's possibly already hurting your yield just a little bit, but it's going to get worse if you don't address it most likely. All right. Thanks for the question, uh, Brian. We've had a number of comments about golden rice over the years, and it sounds like it's finally taken off. You want to talk about that for a minute? Sure. So this is one of the things that I get pretty passionate about because there are a lot of people that want to vilify just biotech in general, and I think it's ridiculous. So let me step you back here. Way back in 1991, there was a scientist who had the idea of inserting vitamin A into rice because literally there are thousands and thousands and thousands of kids every year that die in third world countries from lack of vitamin A. It's sad. It's really sad. So anyway, thankfully, this, this scientist and another guy joined in on the project. They developed what's called golden rice way back in 1999. A few years later, they, they actually changed it from daffodil genes to corn genes, sweet corn genes, to increase the vitamin A content. But anyway, this has gone through regulatory stuff, and it's been all over the world, and everybody's, I shouldn't say everybody, many organizations, like Greenpeace, I know in particular, was fighting this. It's like, really? We're going to fight biotech just because we don't like biotech instead of choosing to save kids' lives? You're crazy. So anyway, finally got approval in the Philippines last year, and this year in the Philippines, they finally raised some, and let's see, I got the figure here on what they actually raised. It was like 67 tons on in 17 fields. I think that was it. But still, 
That's, that's progress. And now there are going to be some people eating better food. Because you think about it, in a lot of these third world countries, they can't afford anything other than rice to eat. And it doesn't have a good level of vitamin A. So the next thing that they're working on with this golden rice is to also insert zinc and iron. So they get more of that, more of those nutrients in there as well. And I, my assumption here is, and, and granted, there are still a lot of people that have no idea what they're even talking about and they continue to fight biotech. But my assumption here is enough people around the world started to say, you know what, um, maybe biotech isn't that bad because I just got the Pfizer or the Moderna COVID shot and I think that may have saved my life. So maybe I shouldn't be fighting biotech so much. Anyway, I just think it's sad that people are stuck on anti-technology and anti-progress instead of, you know what, let's save some people's lives. So anyway, yeah, I get pretty passionate about that because I think it's absolutely ridiculous. All right, next question comes in from Jared, and he said, guys, uh, caught your soils workshop this year and also caught your naturals workshop. Uh, one of the things you talked about is that some folks are using humic acids to help stabilize nitrogen. Understanding yep. not every humic acid's the same. Uh, I got the following questions. So would a two to three part approach using humic and disyana, disyan diamid and sulfur have an additive effect or a multiplication effect? We've been using sulfur and DCD it. previously. Yeah, we, ha we, haven't, we haven't really tested using, let's, let's call it a nitrogen stabilizer. There's data out there showing like ammonium thiosulfate's been able to stabilize nitrogen to some degree and humix as well. So what if we did all three? I really don't know. We haven't done the testing. I haven't seen data on that. That's a great question. In theory, we think it well, certainly couldn't hurt. So how much more will it help you? I really don't know. Then the other question is, would any of those three have any impact on ammonium nitrogen? As that converts, would those stabilizers hang out long enough to help some of that? Well, that's kind of the point is we're trying to keep nitrogen in the ammonium form as long as possible. So we don't want nitrogen gassing off. We want to keep it in the ammonium form as much as we can because that is positively charged and that will bind to negatively charged soil. Our soils are negatively charged. Nitrate, just as an example here, is negatively charged. So if you've got a negatively charged nitrate, you've got soil that's negatively charged, your soil is literally forcing that out. You know what a negative and a negative do? They repel. So this is why we want to try to keep it in the ammonium form. Anyway, I, 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 I guess there are certainly other things that can be done with nitrogen like for example if you had lots of organic matter organic matter is known to hold nitrate just a little bit i'm not going to say great or anything like that but it is able to in some cases hold some anions at least for a little while so you know that's maybe why they think that the, oh the humic could help even if it is already in the nitrate form i i understand all these things in theory how much does it really help i don't know i just haven't seen any extensive testing on that Thanks for the question. We really appreciate that. Thanks for checking out our workshops, too. And if anyone's interested in the upcoming Ag PhD workshops, just check out agphd.com and click on the events tab. Thanks for listening to today's program. Be sure to join us again each weekday for more Ag PhD Radio.